Welcome to the While We're Waiting, Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and yes, even joy. Stories that will help us live well while we're waiting to see our children in heaven one day. We pray that these stories will be an encouragement to you as you walk this road of grief. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. In today's solo episode, I wanted to address a subject that has come up in each of the discussions we've recorded so far. Each of the parents I've interviewed has talked about joy. Now, it seems that joy would be the last thing you'd expect to hear about on a podcast by bereaved parents for bereaved parents, right? But I want to assure you today that joy is not unattainable after the loss of a child, as long as we understand what joy truly is. When we discovered we were expecting our first baby in the spring of 1991, we were thrilled. You could even say we were filled with joy. We didn't know if the baby was going to be a boy or a girl. Back then, ultrasounds were not nearly as detailed as they are now. You could pick out the heartbeat, and that was about it. So we spent a lot of time discussing names. We picked out a boy's name that we both liked pretty well, but choosing a girl's name was a little more difficult. Just a few days before the baby arrived, we finally decided on the name Hannah Joy if it was a girl. At that time, Hannah was not a common name. It was actually considered a rather old-fashioned name. Since then, of course, it has exploded in popularity. Now there are Hannahs everywhere. Apparently, we started a trend. When we chose the name, though, we were thinking of the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel. Hannah was barren and prayed and begged God for a child. She even made a bargain with God. If he would only give her a son, she would give him back to God to serve him all the days of his life. God answered her prayer and gave her a son who she named Samuel. Can you imagine her great joy when she had a baby after all those years of waiting? But after Samuel was weaned, she kept her promise, saying, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. Of course, when we named our daughter Hannah Joy, we had no idea how our experience with her would reflect that of the biblical Hannah and her son Samuel. Hannah loved her middle name. She even had both her first and middle names put on the back of her letterman jacket in high school. Our nickname for her was Hannah Our Joy. The name fit her so well. She had a quiet joy about her all the time, even as her health and strength began to leave her. And this joy was apparent to all those who knew her. Romans 12.12 says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That's an imperative. In the list of the fruit of the Spirit, joy comes second, only after love, the stuff of which God himself is made. This is easy when things are going well for us, but what about when we are going through a time of suffering or heartbreak? I believe it's possible to be filled with joy, yet overflowing with great sadness at the same time. I have experienced this in my own life. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6.10, Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. Tears and joy can definitely go together, and I've seen it many times in bereaved parents. If this seems like a paradox to you, listen to what A.W. Tozer says. A real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one whom he has never seen, 
talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, and happiest when he feels worst. He dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes knowledge. The entire Christian life is a paradox, and so is the thought of having joy when your heart is breaking. Now, we can't just manufacture this kind of joy on our own. We can't just decide we're going to be joyful. Social media and even helpful friends will sometimes tell us to just choose joy, and it doesn't work that way. Philippians 4.4 says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Paul wrote these words from a jail cell. In fact, his writings are full of joy in the midst of suffering. This kind of joy can only come from God, who is the source of all joy. We can rejoice in the Lord at all times, in any circumstance, only because He is who He says He is. Deep down, true joy can only come from Him. Experiencing sorrow does not need to eliminate joy. In fact, I believe that experiencing deep sorrow only broadens our capacity for true joy. For me personally, experiencing deep sorrow has expanded my ability to feel everything deeply. I have felt sadder than I have ever thought possible, sadder than I have ever thought I would be able to survive. But that has prepared me to experience a more satisfying and solid joy than ever before, a durable, rugged joy formed through suffering. It's not a joy produced by pleasant circumstances. It is a joy that can only be given by the Holy Spirit in the middle of difficult circumstances. Psalm 30 verse 5 tells us that weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I found that to be true. There are several things that can rob us of our joy. One big joy robber is fear. We all feel afraid sometimes, and I have certainly dealt with fear many times over the past several years since Hannah went to heaven. C.S. Lewis said after the death of his wife, No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear, and I think that's a common experience among bereaved parents. Our blissful ignorance has been stripped away, and we've learned that bad things don't just happen to other people. But fear doesn't have to have the final word in our lives. In Isaiah 41.10, God says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's consider that verse for a minute, phrase by phrase, because there's so much there that can ease our fears. I am with you. He is always beside you, whether it's in an MRI machine in the middle of a financial crisis, as your husband is walking out the door, or at the graveside of your child. We have definitely experienced his presence with us over the past 11 years. I am your God. He is the all-knowing, always-loving creator of the universe. He's always in control, and nothing catches him by surprise, not even cancer in a teenager. I will strengthen you. He will give you the strength to do things that you never thought you could do. Many people have made comments to me about how strong we are, but that's really a misunderstanding. The last several years have actually been times of great weakness for us. 
we have had to completely depend on God for our strength. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I think this is my favorite part of this verse. I love the word picture of God's huge right hand helping me to my feet, lifting me out of the mire, and carrying me when fear threatens to paralyze me. I don't know what the source of fear may be in your life, but I do know that you can face a fearful future with godly courage if you trust in Him. If you had asked me any time up until a few years ago what my biggest fear was, I would have said losing a child. That happened, and God's righteous right hand continues to carry me through that. He can give you supernatural courage to face what you never imagined you could. Envy is another joy robber. I have to admit there are times when I am jealous. Jealous of someone else's miraculous healing. Jealous of another woman's teenage daughter. Jealous of those parents who are celebrating their child's first day of school or college, especially right now. I think that people who have experienced loss are especially prone to jealousy and envy. We are keenly aware of what others have that we do not. Good health for our family, financial security, a faithful spouse, a rosy future. We can't help but notice these things, but we can keep our hearts from becoming filled with envy. Titus 3, 3-5 says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The cure for envy and jealousy is the kindness and love of God. In His kindness and love, He has freely given us so many blessings. Through the Holy Spirit, we must take our eyes off ourselves and what we don't have and refocus on all that He has blessed us with. Easier said than done. Anger can also rob you of your joy. And anger will not only rob your joy, it tends to spill out onto others and rob them of their joy as well. I'm not talking about a flash of anger. I'm talking about anger that simmers and bubbles as we continually stir it up inside. You know, the kind we sort of enjoy. This kind of anger tends to eventually gain control over us and can drive our emotions and steer our actions. Although anger is a natural emotion, our response to it needs to be governed by the Holy Spirit. As Christians, our lives should be transformed by Him to the point that we're able to respond to anger-provoking situations in a supernatural way. And though as bereaved parents we may sometimes have angry feelings toward God, which is a natural human response to the situation in which we find ourselves, we need to be careful to not settle into a lifestyle of anger with God. The last joy robber I want to talk about is an unwillingness to submit to the sovereignty of God. There are many stories of submission in the Bible. In Genesis 16, you can find the story of Hagar, Abram and Sarai's servant. Hagar had run away due to Sarai's mistreatment. She was trying to escape a difficult situation, but God spoke to her in the desert, saying, Return and submit. God did not rescue her from her difficult situation. He asked her to submit to it. And think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. How must she have felt when the angel told her that she was a blessed woman and was going to have a son? As a virgin engaged to a man, I doubt that that seemed like a blessing to her at the time. But what was her reply? 
I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Luke one thirty eight. When we received the news that our 17-year-old daughter had cancer, we had two choices. We could fight and scream and argue and be angry with God, or we could accept God's sovereignty in her life and ours. Now, of course, we fought the cancer with all the medical means available, and we prayed earnestly for physical healing, but always in the context of God's will being done. And in return, God gave us a supernatural peace throughout the entire journey. As Hannah's health deteriorated, it became more and more clear to us that earthly, physical healing may not be a part of his plan. And though we never stopped praying for healing, we came to understand that we were being called to walk through this storm in a way that would honor him and demonstrate what it means to trust him in difficult circumstances. Hannah's life was short by human standards, but it has had eternal ramifications. Sometimes the most eternal good is accomplished through the things we view as tragedies. Nancy Guthrie is an author and speaker who has lost two children. She has written several wonderful books that I highly recommend, including Holding On to Hope, Hearing Jesus Speak into Your Sorrow, and if you're looking for a good devotional-type book, The One-Year Book of Hope is great. Some of what I'm sharing today was actually inspired from some of her material. I love this quote from her. Submission to God's sovereignty means bowing the knee, whether or not we understand, whether or not we have it figured out, and whether or not we agree. In that submission, we find the grace and strength to keep going. We even find joy in the journey. So we're back to joy. I'm not talking about happiness, giddiness, laughter, or even a pleasant feeling. To be honest, there are many times that I don't have those things. I'm talking about a deep-down, peace-filled, trial-tested, rugged joy that is not dependent upon your circumstances. Do you have that kind of joy in your life? If not, why not? Is it because of fear? Is envy or anger robbing you of your joy? Or is God calling you to submit to a particular circumstance in your life and you are fighting him tooth and nail? Or maybe you're a newly bereaved parent and you can't imagine ever having joy in your life again. The very thought is beyond imagination. That's okay. I've been there too. Give yourself grace and be patient. Psalm 126.5 says, Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. And God is faithful to his word. Let me close with a prayer from the book by Jill Kelly, Prayers of Hope for the Brokenhearted. Jill is the wife of retired NFL star Jim Kelly, and they're also waiting parents. Their son Hunter went to heaven in 2005. I hope you'll make this your prayer today. Lord, you alone are the author of real joy. We can have joy in the midst of the mundane. We can have joy in the midst of deep pain. When everything around us falls apart, we can still have joy. Sounds good, but is it real? Is it possible to have joy no matter what? When tears keep flowing and seem to have no end, is it really possible to have joy? When dreams are devastated and all hope lost, can joy be found? When our world has been shattered, can we be joyful? Without you, Lord, it's impossible. Joy doesn't exist apart from you. So when everything falls apart, 
and all worldly hope is gone, you are still God, and you are there. In this life we will have trials, but you are the source of joy in the midst of them. There is no greater joy than knowing you. You are the real joy we seek. You are the joy in the midst of our sorrows. You are the joy that encourages us to press on another day. Thank you for releasing us from the burden of seeking joy in all the wrong places. Thank you for rescuing us from the longing to find happiness in worldly things. Forgive us for desiring anything more than you. Lord, in you we find fullness of joy. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting.